Bible. Um, I'm not really sure where to tell you to open it yet, and that's because I'm going to go through quite an introduction that will take you to many, many scriptures, but I'm going to have you get your finger ready in Isaiah 63. This will be a little different than normal. If you're visiting with us, we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, week after week. We just go right straight through the scriptures. Uh, But today we're going to do a little bit different um, because we're in the middle of a couple of books, in between books. We'll be starting Colossians next week in the New Testament. But as it is Easter Sunday, I was pondering these things, and I don't feel at all obligated to give some super-duper special beyond words uh, Easter uh, teaching. Jesus Christ himself, Jesus the Messiah said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It isn't the words of pastors and leaders and great speakers. It's the word of God that matters. Being able to communicate is a good thing. You would hope right now that I can communicate clearly, and that means you have faith. (laughs) That was a joke. Okay, so keep my day job. You're not sure about that either. Okay. (laughs) Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Our goal and our desire is to elevate God himself, not worship the Bible, the written pages. We don't worship our Bibles. But we worship the Lord who is revealed to us through Scripture and the Holy Spirit that comes to your personal conscience, to your inner man or woman confirms the things that the Bible says, that they're God's words spoken to you. And even the things that are spoken, that are spoken to um, different people in the Bible and circumstances that are kind of foreign to you, are to paint a picture for you of what God wants you to know about him. He wants you to know him. He wants me to know him. Not just believe mentally, not just give agreement. Oh, I see. If anybody needs the Bible, raise your hand and Christine will get you one. So let me start like this. We're going to start on the back page with this poem that uh, when I was a young Christian, we had a guy that sang it really cool, uh, but footprints in the dust. When it was over, they came upon his footprints in the dust, but he was gone, and they were left alone with each other. His body was there, but his spirit has flown. His healing hands ruined, mutilated, his head hung lifeless, his chest no longer heaved. The wound in his side painfully told them that he was made of flesh and blood and water, like any man. Follow me, he said, but where did he go? How could they follow him? His footprints in the dust led only to the cross. You know, when the disciples started their journey with Jesus, None of them knew where the path they were on would lead them. If I was going to flip you through verses right now, I'd flip you to one of the three places Jesus says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Well, while they might not fully understand it, uh, guys who've been working all their life in the boats might have thought, this is a nice change. I don't know what it means, but... We'll come off our boats and follow him. And then he would have them follow him to the mountains to pray. You know that often Jesus would go before dawn, long before the disciples were up, and go by himself to pray. 
but he also took them to the mountains to pray with him. Then they followed him to the hillsides in Galilee and other places to feed thousands. He would feed them with the word of God. The people would come out from the villages and just sit and hear his teaching and follow him as he walked from place to place. And pretty soon they're out in this deserted deserted kind of place on a hillside and there's no food. And several times Jesus commanded his disciples to take their little bit of food and feed. They followed him in feeding the thousands. Then he They'd follow him as he would say, let's get in this boat and go across the water, following Jesus. They followed him in the water through raging storms. Raging storms. You notice Jesus was never afraid. He didn't treat his disciples with kid gloves. Like, they're so fragile. All I can do is, all I'm going to do is read poetry to them and give them flowers and, and, and just... And just say, love, 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 love makes the world go round. Jesus, there's nobody who loves more than Jesus. God is love. Man isn't love. Man is created in God's image and has the capacity to love. But God is love. We're not diminishing his love. But you know, he wasn't. He didn't treat his disciples with kid gloves. He said, follow me. He said, follow me. He said, follow me. Didn't he? To anyone who would. Hear his voice, follow me. And they followed him through raging storms, and at the end of a raging storm, they would end up on the shoreline, and they followed him up to a cave that was inhabited by men that were possessed by many demons. I'm sure that was lots of fun. But then they saw Jesus deliver that man. They followed him to the temple courts where he taught them, and he followed him back to Galilee so they could refresh and regroup, but even then they encountered all kinds of struggles and hardships. And they followed him back to Jerusalem to confront hypocrisy. And they followed him to the upper room then to commemorate to commemorate his new covenant with them. That the angel of death passed over the houses of the Israelites and those who would place the blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their house at that Passover. We celebrated Passover Friday night. Thank you to all the people that helped make that happen. And I'll mention again, you know, uh, the doorposts of the house, they put the, they put the blood of this lamb that they would slay and, and, and have for their dinner, they put the blood in a basin. And you know, the word threshold of a door that's used in those times was an actual threshold and basin are the same word and they would dig out a carve out in their wooden threshold a spot for water to be poured so you could wash your feet right there and have water in it so top and bottom side to side blood and the angel of death would pass over and the word passover pesach which is where we get passover also has the meaning of the wings overspread. So I will pass over you. The angel of death will pass over. My wings will overspread you and protect you from the angel of death. He who lives and believes in me will never die, Jesus would later say. Jesus would also say concerning these wings of God that overspread us, that will cover us, 
He said just before his crucifixion, just a couple of days, as he came and rode into Jerusalem during the Passion Week, he looked down on the city from up on the hillside and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who persecute and stone all the prophets that have been sent to you, every single one, How often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Will God gather you, gather me, gather those who need him under his wings? Will he comfort? Will he assure? You know, the comfort of God and the assurance of God doesn't come just because you ask him to make you feel better. Now, a person could be just hurting and just not know a lot and just say, God, help me, and he will meet you. But for many of us who understand what it means to follow Jesus, if I'm going a different direction than him, I'm moving out of his comfort. I can pray all day that he'd comfort me, but if I'm going against his will, I'm going to find suffering, not because God's hammering me, but because I'm walking in the meat, right into a meat cleaver. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that you, it's important that I follow him. He doesn't need me, but it's important for me that I follow him. And they followed him back to Jerusalem to confront the hypocrisy of the religious ruling class to the upper room to commemorate his new covenant with them. They followed him to the garden to agonize with him. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But as he prayed that, he prayed alone. He found the disciples sleeping. They made it to the garden, but then they stopped following him, didn't they? They stopped following Jesus, didn't they? When the soldiers came, the disciples fled. For a moment, Peter pulled his sword. We know he had, he had strength of that kind of character. of willing. He was willing to die, but, and we've talked about him as we finished the Gospel of John, but they fled. They stopped following him at the cross. John kind of was there at Caiaphas, the high priest's house, watching the, the, the interrogation, and Peter was there at a distance and in denial. You really wouldn't call that following Jesus, would you? Following at a distance and denying him. They, you know, Jesus, his disciples didn't follow him as he was sent to Pilate. As he was beaten by the soldiers, his back ripped to shreds. They didn't follow him into his mockings. He was mocked and spitting in his face by the soldiers. And they sure didn't follow him to the cross. Nope. Jesus went alone. And he had to. Jesus had to go alone. You may have felt you may feel this way today. It's, it's not to your shame or discredit if you came here today and you're in a struggle and you feel like you wonder if God has left you alone. It isn't like anybody in the Bible ever did it perfect. Did you notice that? Almost every single one of them wondered. I mean, Moses, even when he went to Egypt and God said, this is what's going to happen, Pharaoh will not believe you when you say, God told me to say, let my people go. He's not going to let you go. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, 
God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not letting your people go. No straw. And, and Moses goes back, and of course the people are discouraged. Moses had told them, watch what's going to happen here. You know, <laughs> watch what God does. God's going to deliver you. He sent me to deliver you. He didn't mention that it's going to take a bit of a struggle first because he forgot about that part. He forgot about that. I'm just assuming he forgot. Because when Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting the people go, Moses goes back, the people are upset, and Moses is crying out to God, why did you bring me here? Like, I told you this wouldn't work. Like, Moses, did you forget what I told you? I'm the one that told you that Pharaoh's not going to let the people go until I move with my mighty strong arm, and then he will let them go. Do you notice how easy it is to remember half of what God said? It's easy for me. I remember the good stuff, you know. Uh, kids, mom, does your kid remember half of what you said? <laughs> and you're lucky if, you got, if they did half. <laughs> you know, they remember, we'll go to the park or to, the, to Disney World or to, you know, to, what, I don't know, what, Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> whatever. But they forgot the if you do this and that and that and you get everything done, your schoolwork or your, you know, clean your bedroom or whatever it is. It's easy to forget the, the, the half of the story. And, you know, we're kind of big here on telling the whole story. That's why we go through the scriptures. Yeah, I know. I'm, you know, I'm not really doing it right now. Well, it's one day out of 52 weeks going directly through scriptures in order. We do that because we want people to get the whole story. You deserve the whole story. God deserves for you to hear the whole story. And God deserves for you and me to follow the whole story. The whole story. So they, they didn't follow him to the cross. They couldn't. Jesus had to go alone. And you may have felt like you've been alone at times forsaken by God. Maybe you even feel that now, but nothing could be further from the truth. Now, when you were growing up, if you're my age, I don't know if people say it that much today, but I bet most people here know how to finish this statement. I'll start it and you see if you can finish it. Parent to kid. Son, this is going to hurt me. <laughs> How many of you believed that growing up? <laughs> this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Give me a break. That's what you said. And, uh, and it isn't just discipline. Um, we're very skeptical of that. But to truly believe, to truly love, to truly follow Jesus, it will bring us to bear our cross and you would think having a whole week, I would have this a verse for you first. But Jesus said in Matthew 16 and Mark 8 and Luke 9, and I do have it in front of me, just but I'm not having you turn there. It's in three places. Right after Peter declares, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They're up in the north in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says, whom do men say that I am? And they tell him all these different opinions people have. He goes, who do you say I am? Peter stands up and says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, I'm going up to Jerusalem to be crucified. Peter, of course, says, never to you, Lord. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're walking in the spirit of Satan right now. 
You're not trying to. You're not saying, I'm going to do a Ouija board. You're not saying, I'm going to do a seance. You're not inviting demons to come and possess you. What you're doing is thinking apart from God, separated from God's thoughts. Man in his fallen state is under the dominion of a usurping, taking advantage leader of spiritual life who is Satan. And you can't help but go his way when you don't have Jesus. It doesn't have to be that you do wicked, evil things. You're separated from the life of God. And Peter at that moment is speaking as a man separated from the life of God, only thinking in the human. And then Jesus goes on to say, this part's in Matthew 16. That What I just said was in Matthew 16, all of it. But then in Mark 8 and Luke 9, he says, If any man will come after me, man, woman, anyone, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. But folks, he didn't say, if any man, any person will come after me, let him pick up my cross. He didn't say for him, my cross. He didn't say, Bill, pick up my cross. You can't pick up his cross, can you? He didn't ask you to pick up his cross. His cross is the cross of Calvary, is the cross on which he took the weight of every sin of every human throughout all history. You want me to explain that to you? Do I look that bright that I can understand the depth of something like that? Do you think there's any man, I don't care if he's smoking a pipe and he's a professor, Do you think he's smart enough to encompass the mind of God and the eternal reality of a spiritual thing that happens in a realm that's beyond your ability to see and comprehend between two ears? Could we ever expect to fully grasp that here in our minds? Well, if I can't understand it, it can't be true. Really? Now, many of you are much brighter than I am, but, you know, I know electricity works, and you can explain ohms, and you can explain, you know, positive and negative all day to me, and I'll just kind of go. But does the switch work? (laughs) Does the light turn on, you know? Computers, car engines, I kind of get that. Don't let me near your engine, though. Some of you who are bright about a lot of things engineering-wise, there's things you don't understand. In the Proverbs uh, and in the uh, different places, it talks about the things that we don't understand. Uh, It says how we don't understand love, how it works, and the way of a young man and a young woman. Everybody thinks they understand that really good. Well, if we did, how come there's so much separation and destruction of relationships? If we understand that so good, how come it's chaos in people's lives because of relationships? Well, I know about that. What do you mean I know how to do that? We don't even know how to do that. I could start making a list, but I don't want to bring you on a downer. It's Easter, and you got brunch to go to. So anyway, <laughs> if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But we don't take up Jesus' cross. We can't carry his cross. 
You see, if you go all the way back to Moses, who we were talking about in Egypt, in Exodus 3.7, if you are a note taker, you can write these down. You should check me out if you want. But again, because I'm doing this kind of study, I can't take you to all the verses. He says to Moses when he calls him at the burning bush, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrow. Now, some people would say, oh, well, that's really nice. He knows about my sorrow. But then you go to Judges, the book of Judges 10, 16, when the people are in the land of Israel that God promised them, but because of their failure to follow him, because of their failure to follow him, they're in deep trouble. And they're under oppressors again. And it says in Judges 10, 16, For they put away their foreign gods as God called out to them and sent deliverers to them. They put away their foreign gods and his soul, God's soul, his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Sounds like he was carrying some weight of their troubles, doesn't it? I've surely seen, and I know their sorrow. He could no longer endure their misery. In Zechariah, second to last, third to last book of the Old Testament, 2.8 says, Thus says the Lord, He sent me after glory to the nations who plunder you, talking to Israel. For he who touches you touches the apple or the pupil of his eye. Does God really suffer with his people, for his people, when his people suffer pain? That's the question. In Matthew 25, Jesus says to the ones on his right, as he separates the sheep from the goats, a classic story, he says, enter in you on the right here. If you're left-handed, don't worry, it's a picture. <laughs> I was sick and I was in prison. I was naked and I was hungry. And you came to visit me, to comfort me, to feed me and to clothe me. And they say to him, Lord. And it's interesting. The people who didn't do it, he says, you depart from me. I never knew you. He says the negative of all those things. You never, I was sick, I was in prison, I was hurting, and you never touched to come to help me. And people who are blind by their sin go, when did we... Huh? What are you talking about me like that? I didn't do that. When did we see you suffering and we didn't help you? That's bogus. He says, whenever you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. To the ones on his right, and I interrupted myself, of course. When, when did we see you sick or in prison, naked and hungry, and we came to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, absolutely, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth, and as much as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. So if I help feed a hungry person, a starving person in Malawi, who the brethren that we serve, I'm not giving to, oh, well, yeah, but it's a failed nation. They always have troubles, blah, 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 blah. I'm giving to Jesus. 
And that's not a, I, that's not please do anything. Do whatever the Lord has you do and whatever. But surely I say to you, as much as you did it when at least of these, you did it to me. On Acts chapter 9, you know, a famous story of Paul the Apostle. When the Lord comes and the bright light shines and he's knocked off of his, is it a high horse? Is it a camel? Is he walking? <laughs> we don't know for sure. But he falls to the ground. Saul, Saul, his name was Saul originally. Why do you persecute me? Do you remember that? Who are you, Lord, that I'm persecuting you? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Because he was chasing down God's people and persecuting them. So Jesus is in those people. Jesus is suffering with them and for them. Um, If you have Isaiah 63, why don't you turn there? This is the verse I wanted you to see because I just almost can't believe it's in there. I mean, I can, but it's just a beautiful in verses 8 and 9. I'll start in verse 7. How about that? <laughs> Isaiah is about the middle of the Bible after Psalms and Proverbs and all that. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord, verse 7 of Isaiah 63. And the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. This was God in hope speaking of them. They will not be um, betraying me, even though we know they did. Right? God's own children did turn on him. But yet God's promise is looking at them for this view. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them. All the days of old. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. We're kind of skeptical of that, aren't we? Well, when they went through the wilderness, they were thirsty. And God told Moses to do something to quench their thirst. He told them to strike a rock. It's a big rock. And that rock broke open, and out from the fountains of the deep, miraculously so, came rivers of living water. It like, it, like a drinking fountain, there's, there's a couple million people out there. So it's not like, okay, everybody get in line. By the time you get to, you know, 62,000 person, they're dead. They're already thirsty. <laughs> you can't crowd Three million people around a little water fountain. What kind of water came out? A river came out. It fed all the people and all their animals. And it had to do it quickly. For those of you who haven't seen the 
uh, Exodus conspiracy, go online and watch the little short videos. You can get them on YouTube that shows you the places where Israel went and shows you a rock that unmistakably would seem to be that rock. That's all I'll say about it right now, but he was that rock. It says Christ is the rock in Corinthians that was struck for them. Because in order for me to have rivers of living water as Jesus who stood up in John 7 at the feast and say, he that believes in me out of his innermost person will flow rivers of living waters. In order for that to happen, he had to be smitten, struck. He had to be crucified. He had to carry a cross that you can't carry. We are called to pick up our cross and follow him but you're not picking up his cross. He carried the weight of your sin alone. When we deny ourselves, listen, it's not self-denial, it's deny self. There is a difference. It isn't, the Bible talks in Colossians, which we'll be reading over the next few weeks, a form of worship where it's striking yourself and beating yourself down and will worship, meaning you use your will to accomplish God's purpose, like, I'm going to do this thing and suffer for him. Mm, I'm going to make this happen. This is my spirituality. And really, the Bible isn't teaching us that. It's teaching us to yield to the Holy Spirit. And self-denial isn't the same as deny yourself. Uh, I'm not trying to mince words here, but it's important. It's not exchanging something good for pain. It's not even punishing yourself. When we carry our cross, what we're saying is we're denying the self-life from ruling over us. We choose his life as our source of life over our own. You're choosing his life. If any man will come after me, will follow me, and we know he wants us to follow him. Don't we? Whatever you know about Jesus or don't know, you know that he said, follow me, don't you? You know that he said, follow me. So when you and I leave this building today, there's nobody leaving this building that won't know unless you choose to say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, the giant erasers on the doors that try to erase everything you got, it can't erase this, because I'm going to repeat it a hundred times now in the next five minutes. It can still be erased. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Did Jesus tell you to follow him through the scriptures? Is there any question about that? Do you know how to do it exactly? Not necessarily. (laughs) Are you, but is this where you need to learn? Is this where I need to learn? Is this where we need to grow? Well, in order to follow him, you kind of have to deny yourself because you wouldn't go with Jesus where he goes if you're into yourself. You'll go where you want to go, mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally. But Jesus said, follow me. He said, follow me. And if I'm going to follow him, I'm going to deny myself from leading me. Does that make sense? By the way, I'm not saying, oh, you poor little kids, you need a lot of help here. I'm saying, 
I want to be able to understand it in simplicity, and I want to be able to explain it in simplicity, and I want to be able to do it in simplicity because I tend to complicate things. Am I alone in this room? So we're called to follow him. We're called to deny ourselves. We choose his life as our source over our own, and that's a really good thing. You see, in Romans 8, 11, on the front of your bulletin, our, our written resurrection scripture for the day is right here. Could have done John 11 that um, Wendy read to us, but in Romans 8, 11, talking about the spirit-filled life, that is lived by a believer without condemnation, uh, just being swallowed up by guilt and constantly fighting in, in a human way, instead walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The promise of a resurrection life and our forever destiny, yes and amen, but the promise of a resurrected life is right, a life that starts now here on earth. The Spirit living in me. The Spirit living in me. It means that he takes up residence in you. When, what it means to be born again, to be born of the Spirit, to become a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ starts with being born anew, born again, receiving his spirit. And that comes by confessing of our sinful nature, repenting from our own way and sinful nature. It's not finding the big, baddest three things you ever did and saying you're sorry for them. You know why? Because it's way worse than that. It's not your three or ten worst things you ever did that are your problem. Did you know that? It's your very nature that's your problem. Your nature is separated from God. We don't... We, some people think once we sin, that makes us a sinner. No, we sin because we are sinners. We fall short because our nature is fallen and alienated and separated from God. It doesn't mean I have no good thoughts or kindness in me but I'm separated from the life of God that was intended for me that is the only way I can actually follow him and overcome my human nature. And he takes up residence. In fact, his desire, his plan is not just to live in us. Like, don't make a little bedroom for Jesus. You know how in the Old Testament you'd, the prophet would come and they'd make a little room with a little table and a candle and a chair and a little bed for the prophet. You hear those stories about Jesus is more than a prophet. <laughs> if you've made a little room for him in your life, that's a good start in a sense, but in actuality he didn't come just to live in one of your bedrooms, have free access to your fridge, and to the smaller TV. He came to possess your whole house. You know, you know I'm not there yet. I don't feel like I am, you know, have given him free reign as much as I could. I'm following him, and I'm learning, and I agonize over my failures, and I know you do too. 
and we're all much more close to each other than we are. Well, this person's really spiritual and this person's not. That's a complete misnomer. Just compare yourself to Jesus. Are you just like him? Am I just like him? No. (laughs) Right. That's fine. That's good. I like feedback. So take up residence or take possession of the house. You know, when you buy a house... When you buy a house, you don't go, we bought this house, come over and visit us. You'll have to go in the side door to the little apartment room because we don't really possess the whole house. We own it, but we don't possess it. You wouldn't do that. You would buy, if you were going to buy and take ownership of a house, you'd take possession. Now, that day they give you the key. That day you sign the final document. Now it's yours. And now you go and you take possession of it. And that's what Jesus is seeking to do in our lives. Denying yourself is not denying good to have pain. It's not punishing myself. Instead, I'm not just having Jesus rent a room. I'm letting him take possession. Yielding to his spirit that's already in me. The spirit will lead me to let myself go, pick up my cross, which is just whatever, my cross is denying myself. My cross isn't, I broke my foot when I was a kid, and I always walk with a limp. I guess it's my cross to bear. There are non-Christians who broke their foot as a kid and walk with a limp, and it's not a cross to bear, is it? It's just life. A cross to bear isn't even a person that gives you a heartache. I guess that's my cross to bear. Let me really make this clear. External things or things that happen to you are not your cross to bear. That's a misunderstanding. It can fit into a certain thing. Bearing your cross is denying yourself, which is what Jesus did. He could have walked away from the cross. Not my will, but yours, Father. He, he, He followed the Father's will. My cross to bear is to deny myself. And follow Jesus. And those things that happen to me are a chance for me to exhibit that I am bearing my cross and not just fighting everything that happens to me and not just blaming God for it and not using it as an excuse. But those things that happen to me are not my cross. Because those things happen to non-believers and they're not bearing their cross for Jesus. It's a very spiritual reality. The Spirit of God lives in you if you're a believer in Jesus. Jesus calls us to follow him to a resurrected life. Jesus calls us to follow him, and we should make no mistake about it. We should follow him. But, folks, it's one thing you'll never have to carry, ever, is Jesus' cross. For 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him... Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Is never more true anywhere in life than the cross our Savior carried. And if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and he did rise by the Holy Spirit, And he comes to you, and he dwells in you and lives in you. He gives you the ability to deny yourself and follow him. And he gives you the confidence to know 
that that same spirit that's living in you now is going to take you and give life to your mortal body. This flesh will die, but you will rise again. My hope in the resurrection is not just words on a page or the story that I've heard. It's the fact that God has come into my life and he convicts me of my sin. And he shows me my shortcomings. And he shows me my need for a Savior. And he shows me how lost I am without him. And I'm not mad at him for showing me these things. It makes me love him more. Because to whom much is forgiven, the same loves much. Come to Jesus. Musicians, you can come on up. Come to Jesus. Follow him. You know, I don't know where you're at today, um, but if you're here and you've been away from Jesus, you started following him, and then something happened. Things do happen. Sometimes really, 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 really hard things happen. I can't be the judge of what was hard enough to make somebody turn away from Jesus or stop following him, or what wasn't so hard. Do you realize that we should never put ourselves in a position that we understand the depth of sorrow or difficulty that happens? So I don't want to belittle anyone's pain who has had struggles and it's been hard for you to follow him. And I also don't want to let anybody off the hook so they like me better, because that doesn't help you. It's not about you and me and the level that we think is enough or too much or whatever. There are people who die for Jesus, literally. And there are people who won't suffer anything for Jesus, literally. And there's a myriad in between, isn't there? And I don't have any control over that. And none of your friends or family, there's not a person living, there's not a person that's going to be born who's going to be able to fix all that for you. He knows your pain, and he carried it. That's what I know. Rick did not carry your pain. Rick doesn't understand your pain. Your, your counselor, your therapist doesn't really completely understand your pain. Your best friend doesn't fully, completely understand your pain. Your mate, your lover, doesn't completely understand your pain. Nobody does but Jesus. It was never meant that a person on earth would be that which God is to be to you. They should be a help to it, yes. But they cannot be who Jesus is completely. Don't ask them to. Don't expect that to happen. Don't look for that to be your answer because it will fail you and leave you depressed and hopeless. Jesus came that you might have life, and life more full, abundant, rich, real. He does instruct you and I to carry our cross, make no mistake about it. But you'll never carry his cross. He alone is holy. He alone is worthy. He alone became sin for you, died for you, and rose on the third day to prove to you 
that God accepted his offering for you. And if it's time for you to come back from wandering and being flaky and making excuses, wouldn't this be a good day? You think it's going to get easier? It's not. It'll never get easier than right now. If you make a hard decision in a hard moment, life will get easier. But if you wait for an easy time to make a hard decision, life will just get harder. 